Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for and with ebay guaranteed fit your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, TEND is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Okay, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Jared Saltalamacchia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, I don't know if people know this, but the baseball season's over. So, Tim, did you, Tim Britton of The Athletic, did you know this? Uh, I had not followed a lot. Who who won? I assume I assume the Dodgers or Orioles or or Atlanta. Like that was how October went. And right? tele and the television ratings were through the roof. I mean, they yeah, def- they definitely beat the WNBA finals. <laughs> they definitely. I mean, uh, well, listen. I mean, it is over, and now the new season has let it begin. And like teams like you cover the Mets, it, it's just been sitting there. But doing nothing, just waiting for this these shenanigans of the postseason to end. But and so we can actually dive into the meat and potatoes of baseball, which is roster projections, <laughs> what might be, and there is no better place to to scratch where that itches than your piece in the athletic, where you once again absolutely nail the progressions for what these guys are going to sign for, what all these free agents are going to sign for. Um, My first question to you, Tim Branton, 
How long does it take for you to do this article? Uh, this takes uh, a solid two weeks or so to do. We're going to do one on the, pit, the pitchers and one on the position players. Uh, you know, last year was the first time I did it kind of broadly league-wide instead of just focusing on guys the Mets were, were looking at. Uh, and I did, I think, 10 pitchers and 10 position players, and this year I did about 25 on each side. Uh, so that, that took a little longer. Um, you know, it's it's been really – I mean, this goes back to when the Red Sox were thinking about re-signing John Lesser in, in 2014. That's when I started a Excel spreadsheet with, like, okay, here are the big money deals for pitchers. Here's how Lester compares. Uh, and I just kept adding to it over time, and now it's it's got – at least those 10 years of data I, I filled in with, with some big contracts from before. Uh, the position player side's got 600 contracts or more, and, and the pitcher side's got about 300. Uh, so it's just looking through and, and finding the right right comparable players and to say, okay, this is what this guy who looks a lot like this player X who, who looks a lot like this guy, this is what this guy earned. Uh, and so that's what we can expect around that ballpark figure for, for this guy this, this offseason. Did, did you find that – have you found that your formula is pretty – I mean, obviously it's evolved, but do you find it's pretty accurate? It's pretty accurate. You know, it, it, there's still, you know, there, there's guys who look just like uh, another player in that player. Did you have Xander? Did you have Xander Bogarts at 11 years I did, last year? I didn't. Now? You know, I, I had I had Xander Bogarts at 25 million a year. I had him for seven years, not 11. Uh, you know, like last year, the big thing was those position players getting really long deals. You know, I had Trey Turner at. at 296 million, but I had it for, for eight years, not 11. I had Aaron Judge at 40 million a year, but for eight years, not nine. This year, I don't think we have that dynamic quite to the same extent because really outside of, of Otani and, and Bellinger, I don't know of a position player that's going to get, you know, eight years or something like that. Uh, so uh, that, you know, different teams look at it and value it differently. Some teams want the high AAV short-term deal and they're going to reward a guy that way. You go back to like you know, what the Red Sox did in 2013 or what the Cubs did with Marcus Stroman a few years ago versus other teams want the, the really long term to lower the AAV like what the Phillies have done with a few guys. Well, so you mentioned the pitchers. and It's really a so, so top-heavy when it comes to this free agent class, it, it top-heavy being a lot of pitchers. Most of the pitchers are going to get the perceived bigger deals. But there's a fly in the ointment, and I think that that's the international market, which I don't know – and obviously, one of those pitchers we talk about is Yamamoto. And but I look back at last year, and you look at Senga, you look at Yoshida, and I don't think that maybe people nailed the Yoshida contract. Maybe people nailed the Senga contract. I don't know. How, were you close on those, or I like? But so, so this is I, I did not do either of those guys last year. This is the first year I'm I'm trying to do. Look at guys you over from from NPB or KBO because you know the. the Basic basics of how I do it is through war, through wins above replacement right. in the major leagues. Uh, those guys don't have that. So with those guys, I'm trying to look at, okay, how did they compare in their home leagues to that league and to guys who have come over here previously? So, you know, Yamamoto looks like Masahiro Tanaka. That's what Tanaka signed for. Let's translate that into modern money. Uh, same with, with Shota Imanaga or, or, or Junghoo Lee. Yeah. I mean, the, so good for you for figuring out the, a formula for doing it because it seems really, really complex and complicated. <laughs> Just because you're like you're you're saying, okay, well, here's their war, but you know, what's that look like? And even with Tanaka, I, I I think it's a great way to do it with Yamamoto. I think congratulations, I am approving of your Yamamoto, <laughs> the path that you took to get to him. But at the same time, it's it's kind of so Tanaka was around 25 when he came over. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, this is such the aberration, right? I had I had forgotten Tim that Otani was twenty three. Mm-hmm. Otani was twenty three, and he got a crap contract. <laughs> yeah, because so, he, he he would have needed to wait a few more years to, right. to be able to get the full thing, and you know he's instead decided to to bide his time this way, uh, and now it has positioned I, himself to get the the enormous deal. I think that's worked out for him. Um, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so you have like we said, like we have like you know this this free agent market, which is so heavy on pitchers, which are always difficult, I would imagine, to gauge. But you do a great job of that. Um, and then you have the international signings. How did how did my first question to you, Tim, is how did you feel like when you sat down and started doing this compared to last year? Did you feel like, oh man, this is different. This is a different market. This is a different season. This is a different kind of group of players. It doesn't feel like it did last year. And I and the obvious answer is, well, yeah, there's not four shortstops who are going to make these this crazy contract. But how did it feel when you started doing this this year? It, it felt like there were a lot more questions about some of the top players than there have been in the past. I mean, uh, you know, Otani is Otani. He's a, he's a unique He's a unicorn in the, the truest sense of the word, not in the way the NBA uses it. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, you've got, you know, you've got like the reigning Cy Young Award winner in the national, or, or probable, I should say, reigning Cy Young Award winner in the National League, Blake Snell, hitting the open market. But he's a guy who's so polarizing in the way that he pitches uh, <laughs> that it's a, it's a more complex case. You know, last year you had Justin Verlander hitting the open market, but you could say, man, he looks a lot like Max Scherzer did a year before. He's probably going to get a similar contract. And he did. Uh, you know, you had an idea of what these guys kind of looked like and who they were. It was a, maybe a, a, an older group for the most part. You know, Rod- Rodon was, was interesting in that way. But so you've got, you know, in in Snell, in Jordan Montgomery, do you value him as the guy he was for the last three months with the Rangers, including the postseason? Or do you value him as, you know, a guy who might be a nice number two or number three starter? Uh, do you look at, uh, how do you look at Sonny Gray off of the season he just had, uh, maybe his best season since he was in Oakland? Um, you know, so... Uh, Cody Bellinger is the huge risk reward range. Like he was, he was a sub replacement player two seasons ago, and now he's the best pure position player on the market uh, and has been an MVP in the past. There's, there's such a wide range of outcomes there. So I think, you know, projecting some of these, you're like, man, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with that in the same way that like, you know, when you're projecting a huge number for Trey Turner, you're like, he's probably going to be pretty good for, for the life of that contract. You feel pretty strongly uh, in, in a player who's, who's had as consistent a track record as some of the guys did going into last year's offseason. You know, you mentioned Jordan Montgomery, and I love the one of my favorite things is screaming from the mountaintops of how crazy it is that very smart people and organizations give these guys a crap load more money off of a three week performance. I'm not saying Jordan Montgomery's that way because he was good, right? He was good in the regular season and he has been reliable, durable, good. But, you know, we've always, we always look for that guy in the postseason, who is making himself some money. It looked like uh, about four days ago, like like Tommy Pham might be on that track. You know, maybe it was, he was going to get an extra year or something. We, we know there's been examples. There's examples all over the place. Go back to Pablo Sandoval, Pablo Sandoval, you know, low 700 OPS, but no, no, he performs well on the big stage. And every day is the big stage at Fenway (laughs) park. So he's going to be awesome. Um, Nathan Avaldi, Joe Kelly, 2018, they double their contracts. Literally double their contracts in that whatever it is, three-week span. Is there, I guess Montgomery is the easy answer, but is there anybody that made that dynamic change it all for you? You know, uh, 
probably Arandola in Philly because coming off of, you know, if he just has his regular season where he has a, a DRA higher than the league average for the second time in the last three years, uh, let's say the Phillies don't make the playoffs and he's sitting home in October. Uh, there's questions about, you know, is Aaron Nola a guy you can put at the top of your rotation? And then he goes out in the postseason. He made some changes late in the season, found it a little bit uh, in September and pitches, you know, not quite lights out. He wasn't as dominant as his teammate and Zach Wheeler, but looked really good. It looked more like the Aaron Nola we're used to seeing. And I, I wrote in the story, it reminded me, it, you know, it's not the same, but it reminded me a little bit of John Lester in 2013. He wasn't as good as Lester in the postseason. He didn't have as rocky a regular season as Lester had had in 2012 and 2013. But when you write the ship and you show like, hey, this is what I can be on the game's biggest stage, then that I think that will override a lot of his regular season with some people and make them think, okay, yeah, this is a guy I feel comfortable giving five or six years at $30 million a year to be at the top of our rotation. I mean, it's a great one. The only fly in the ointment is again because comes back to how bizarre this this dynamic is. That one start at the end. It's like right. I mean, it's it's so it's so weird because we're judging things off such a short sample size. I think what you hit on with Nola was interesting about if you see a guy make a change, then then that's what you can latch on to. Okay, we saw uh Michael Walker a couple of years ago. You know, Michael Walker made this change. They saw it, and he's been fairly good ever since. But with Nola, he made that change. He was really good. And then, but that last impression, oh, has he really got past this? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm looking way too much into this. But I just know it's a lot of these are the feels and the vibes of these guys, especially for ownerships when they want to sign off on it. Yeah, and another tough thing is is you look at a guy like Nola who's now pitched deep into October consecutive seasons, and a guy who does not miss starts. You know, the, the last start he missed because of an injury was in May of 2017, which is a ridiculous run of health for a top-line starting pitcher. And then you start weighing that, okay, do we want the guy who's about to be 31 who doesn't who has all of these innings on his arm? Or do we want someone who's fresher, someone who doesn't who hasn't pitched as much, maybe because of injury history in the past, but you know, you, you feel a little bit better about maybe their future arm health. I look at a guy like Seth Lugo, who made the transition back to the rotation last year with the Padres, and he's going to be 34. But because he was a reliever for so many of his prime years, he doesn't have the kind of wear and tear on his arm that someone else who's 34 might have. And you could look at that as a positive, like, hey, like he, he's going to be fresher in his late 30s, mid to late 30s than most guys. Or do you look at that as he threw as many innings last year as he did the three years combined before that? I don't like what he's going to do next year. You know, you can look at a lot of these things from both sides of the coin. Who who did you feel, the, this is the cliche question, who did you feel the best? Like, I feel like I nailed that one. And who was the one that you felt like the worst about that? Like, I, I probably messed that one up. <laughs> uh, the, the ones that kind of, the, the one that made the most sense to me going into it uh, was, was probably Sonny Gray. Uh, I, I project him at three years and, and $72 million. And I think a lot of people mentioned that, you know, he's, he's a little similar to, to Chris Bassett was going into last offseason as a guy at 34. Uh, who's had a pretty consistent track record of success. Gray was better this this past season than Bassett uh, has ever been, I think, uh, and has a longer track record of success. So I think we'll get a little bit more, uh, but I, I feel pretty good about where that one is. The one, the one that surprised me, because, you know, I go into this and I think, okay, this is just off the top of my head, I'd imagine a guy would get something like this. And then you, you go through the exercise and you're like, oh, 
you know, and that was Luke, that was Lucas Giolito because I went in and think oh. this is probably this is probably a one or two year deal. You know, sixteen million for one year, thirty two for two. And I'm looking at the the comparable players, and they include Taiwan Walker and Jamison Tyone from last year. Those guys got four years at a, at a higher salary. So I, I listed Giolito at four and seventy million. And you can talk yourself into it. You can say, okay, this guy was really good in 2019 through 2021, uh, had a rough season in 2022, looked like his old self the first four months of this past year, gets traded, gets waived, really weird final two months. You can explain that away. You know, when he's when he's good, he's really good. He's, he's gotten Cy Young votes. When he's bad, it's not that he's hurt. He's still pitching for you. He's just a little bit worse than league average. Maybe that's worth $17.5 million. You can see that argument. But, you know, when you're looking at a guy who pitched the way he did the last two months, that's not a guy that you're going to sell to your fan base and say, this is our number two uh, starter the same way that you, that you might with someone else. Dude, you read my mind, man. Like, I was just looking at that. That must have been the hardest one, like the one of the or one of the most difficult ones, just because, like you said, it's there's there's he has the image and he had the image for the majority of the season or at least the say like two thirds of the season. This image of this is the ace. This is the guy that you want. This is the guy who's making. I saw the guy pitch a perfect game into the seventh inning in New York, you know, and he, he just went on this unbelievable run. He looks like a, a, an ace. He, he, and then what he did when he was traded and, and waved and all that stuff. It was like, oh, God. And, and that's it, the selling and fan base. And that's going to be the interesting part, Tim, right? is that you have a bunch of teams that need starters. You have a lot of starters, and they're all kind of grouped together in a way. Yamamoto stands out. We can agree on that, right? I mean, t- because of his age, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. But then you have everyone can make a case, and the Snell and the Nola and, the, um, and you know, I'll, I'll throw Giolito into that. Who else am I? I'm forgetting somebody. Um, well, Eduardo Rodriguez, right? Um, and, yeah, so it's – it's going to be interesting to see which guy gets the contract, which just nobody expected because that team said, we see something in him and we trust our, mm-hmm. you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think the, the really fascinating part of this offseason, and, and you're dealing with it in Boston. I have it with, with the Mets and Queens. Uh, there, there's a bunch of teams like this, teams that spend money coming off disappointing seasons with angry fan bases. You've got <laughs> the, the Mets, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cardinals, the Giants, you know, the Dodgers to an extent can say it's a disappointing season. They haven't gone to, to an LCS in a few years now. Uh, the, <laughs> the the Astros have a disappointing end of their season. Uh, you know, how are these teams going to respond in free agency? The, the Giants we saw last year were big in on Aaron Judge. They were big in on Carlos Correa. It didn't work out. Do they want to repurpose that money and say, you know, whatever, we're going to give Yamamoto $250 million. We're going to go nuts for Yamamoto. Mm. Or do the Mets say, you know, Shohei Otani is is so different. We're willing to go to $600 million, even if he's not pitching next year. Like, uh, you know, the Cardinals, I was just on a, a radio station in St. Louis, and they're kind of resigned to like, the Cardinals are going to be the Cardinals. They're going to sign Sonny Gray and Jordan Montgomery. Uh, they're going to sign their kinds of guys. But, you know, is this a team that, that has said, like, we need to be different about the way we approach pitching? Are they going to be different in the free agent market? Are they going to make a huge move for Yamamoto, for Blake Snell, for, for Aaron Nolan, play at the top of the market in a way we're not used to seeing? We think that exists for a lot of different teams. And, and you know, with the, with the Red Sox, too, how are they going to fill in their rotation? There's a lot of different teams that have a different kind of urgency and a, a, a capacity to spend money this off this winter than we're usually used to seeing. 
Another guy you lump in with Giolito is Jack Flaherty. And it's another interesting one. A little bit younger, you know, again, give, gives the image of, of an ace and then really, really bad. Like obviously, ends a year with a really bad. But it it's almost feels like Jack Flaherty is the type of guy who, when the musical chairs stops and, oh, well, you can have Jack Flaherty. And then the team, the team is like, we're selling everybody on Jack Flaherty of this is the guy. And there's been plenty of examples of that over the years where, oh, yeah, yeah, no, you're going to have to trust us. We we allocated money to this. This is going to be worth it. But I don't know if anyone's going to feel great about Jack Flaherty signing with a team as the solution to what we're talking about, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who I think you have to have some built-in credibility with your fan base that you've yeah. turned guys like this into something good in the past. Uh, you know, like Baltimore at the trade deadline, that was essentially the pitch they made, right? Everyone wanted us to get a pitcher. This is the guy we got. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. he's not a member of the postseason rotation, wasn't even a part of the, the regular season rotation down the stretch of the season. You know, he's similar to Giolito in that he's been really good in the past. He's different from, from Giolito in that, it was really just the one phenomenal season in 2019. And then he was hurt more consistently in between this year. He took the mound regularly. It was less consistent even with St. Louis and then bad in Baltimore. So, you know, he's a guy I projected at three years and 45 million. I think that's a team that, that really buys into him and feels like they can get the most out of him and, and wants to make the longer term gamble, but he is a good fit for a pillow contract, a, a one-year deal. You know, I know he's from the, the Southern California area, like, Feels like a guy who could sign one year, sixteen million with the Dodgers, and, and post a three three ERA and thirty starts. Uh, you know, that's a team that can say, "Hey, we've done this before with guys in the past and gotten the most out of them." Uh, but uh, you know, if you're the Red Sox and you say Jack Flaherty's coming in to be our number uh, two behind Chris Sale, it's a little tougher sell. Oh, uh, I don't think you understand. Craig Breslow's <laughs> in charge now. He's figured it out. Um, so Bellinger, you mentioned Bellinger. Do you, if Tim Breton is running the the Timmy Timmy uh, whatever what I was gonna, what's what's your nickname for your team what's what's <laughs> the Great Britons the Great Britons perfect it, it crosses off a lot of boxes in terms of our international <laughs> fan base uh, which by the way can I as a as a like a way way quick aside I just said international would you agree with me that the most memorable at bat came in a game that didn't count. For the 2023 season, I, I would agree with you definitely on that. But also, I'm not surprised by. It. I think when we saw that in, in the World Baseball, Club, I don't think anyone said like this is going to be topped by the, by a major league at bat. I think you'd be hard pressed to find. Oh, to, I bet. To I bet. Something I bet those who crapped on the WBC did. You know, like oh, oh, oh why is everyone's making making a big deal as an exhibition? We're talking about the Trout Otani showdown. Anyway, I just wanted to you to say I was right, um, <laughs> Bellinger. This is you mentioned all the reasons why this is like it shouldn't be a tricky one, but it is a tricky one. I love watching the guy play. Like I, I think, you know, for me, I would take a chance on him. I would, you know, I would say, okay, Clay, you're you're part of the foundation. We're going to pay you as such. How do you view him? Yeah, I mean, again, it comes down to how you view his story, basically. Like, do you buy that the shoulder injury that he suffered at the end of 2020 uh, is the main reason for 2021 being as bad a year as it was, that it took him some time in 22 to get back? And in 2023, he was an elite performer, two-way player, basically. A, gr- a great defender in the outfield and center field in a premium position where you don't get a lot of that. And especially in the middle of the season, uh, was carrying that team offensively in Chicago. It really propelled them back into contention on his back uh, in the middle of the season. 
you know, the, the thing, uh, the thing that's tough is, you know, he's younger. So Scott Boris is going to come in there and say he deserves a 10 year deal uh, at $250 million. Uh, and you say, man, three years ago, this guy was one of the worst players in baseball. Um, and there, there's still in your mind that potential. Uh, I think if he were coming out in a different free agent class, if, if he's a part of last year's class where, okay, if you're not signing Cody Bellinger, you can still sign Trey Turner or uh, Xander Bogarts or some of these other shortstops that were available, you know, got similarly talented two-way players. Uh, it would be a little harder to make that pitch, but considering you know, if you're not playing in the Otani market, this is the next best guy. And there are there are some teams there that, you know, like like we mentioned, might have a little bit more urgency to them that could use a center fielder, that could use a, a, a face of the franchise type player. And Cody Bellinger makes a lot of sense for you. All right. So, yeah, he I, I do find him fascinating. All right. Now we get to the qualifying offer. You do all your work. You do everything. Okay. You think you nail it down, and then Martin Perez comes in and accepts a qualifying <laughs> offer. <laughs> Give me what just overall, like what is there anything? What's the fly in the ointment when it comes to what could potentially take place with a qualifying offer in your projection? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to think of of who would surprise me this year. You know, this year I think it's more some of the the club and, and player options. You know. Uh, whether like the the Cubs pick up the option on on Kyle Hendricks, whether Marcus Stroman opts out, uh, you know th- those things obviously they affect what the player is going to make, but they also change the, the market as a whole. You know, last year I remember thinking you know P- Perez was going to be I, I didn't think uh, he would accept the qualifying offer. I, I don't even know if I thought he was going to be given the qualifying offer. In uh, a guy like Taiwan Walker's case, I thought the Mets should extend him the qualifying offer. They didn't. I think that probably helps him make a little bit extra uh, in that deal with the Phillies. Nathan Uvalde, I thought maybe the, the qualifying offer hindered his ability to make more. I, I expected a bigger deal for him uh, than the one he eventually signed with Texas. So I, I think it plays a part. Um, but I, I don't know this year if there's someone who jumps off the page as, oh, man, if this guy gets a qualifying offer, uh, that's a tough decision for him. Uh, and maybe he decides to take it and, and comes off the board. Yeah, Evaldi was the guy. Well, you know, like you said, Perez take it, whatever. And and it's the fraction of people that take it. It's a little bit higher than it was when we were roaming around the Arizona lobby and whenever that was. When was that? What was the GM meetings? I don't know. It was like 2015, 2016. Yeah, the, the like first that. time. Yeah, I, yeah. So anyway, we were. It's a little bit different, but. Um, Avaldi was the one where as soon as, and I think this is what the Red Sox were banking on, honestly. Like, okay, you know what? We're going to slap this qualifying offer. Good luck getting the market. And, you know, and it, and I think it did hurt him. It did hurt him, but uh team stepped up and, and took care of that. Uh, so when it comes to now, do you get nervous? I mean, like, you don't want to be Wrong. Super off on a guy. Like if if Giolito signs for a year and eight million tomorrow, I'm gonna feel pretty stupid, right? Like justifiably so. Like last year, you know, I I forget exactly what I projected for Tyler Anderson, but he signed for a, a good amount less. Well, um, remember, was, remember, remember, Tim. Like early on last year, there was this sort of relief pitcher run, mm-hmm. right? And it was like, whoa, this is it's gonna be robust, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. But like I remember when Anderson signed last year, he was one of the first guys to sign. I was like, man, if if that's what the market is, I'm going to look bad. Like because I I thought he was going to make you know 25 more than he made, 
with the Angels. And then uh, I think it was two or three weeks after that when when things kind of stabilized. I was I was more on track with more guys. And Ken Rosenthal read, wrote that you know Tyler Anderson jumped too soon. It was like oh, that makes me feel a little bit better about <laughs> about where I was on that. But I'm not the only one feeling that way. Um. So the biggest question is, what does Joe Kelly get? I haven't. I didn't run Kelly through. I, I know. Through, but I, I did a handful of relievers. Dude, I, I'm not gonna. Uh, I still I, like Joe you. Can, I think Joe can get whatever his heart desires uh, in the free agent market. He's he's done well, certainly the last. Couple I mean, of times the, the book. It. He's got the book residuals to like fall back on. So that's <laughs> right. You know, that's pretty good. I'm sure. I'm sure you can lend him a couple of bucks if he needs it too. Uh, yeah. Well. I'm not going to say I'm staying in his house for the GM meetings, but I'm not going to not say I'm staying in his house for <laughs> GM meetings. Um, but he, uh, it's an interesting, like all of these are interesting. Like his thing is, you know, he has a $9 million option. They'll probably won't pick it up. They'll make the White Sox pay the million and then they'll sign up for eight. So I don't know, but it's, yeah. It, but relief pitchers are, it, remember a couple of years ago, you know, after 2018, I think it, there was that run of th- there was that run of relief. Jerry's familiar. Um, David Robertson, Joe was part of that. Uh, somebody else, but there was this this. Okay, this is what the market is for these guys, and it was pretty steep. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. You have Hader on the list. Uh, who who else? Who was falling behind him? You have Hader a four year deal, which like makes sense. I mean, like Hader is a good like elite reliever. Yeah, you've got, you've got him. You've got Jordan Hicks, uh, who was only twenty seven. You've got Robert Stevenson, who had that's three cra- and a half really good. I had totally three. forgot. You know, I totally forgot he's a free agent. Like, what did you have? I should know this. Well, what did you have him at, Robert Stevenson? I had him at three years and thirty million dollars. Yes, and good for him. Like he people in case people out there don't know who this he was on. A, I wish we did a podcast with him, so obviously they know. But it's he was so good. Like he had this his whiff rate just became obscene, crazy. Yeah, just you know his his time in in Tampa kind of changed everything for him. And now it's you know we've seen like I compared him to to Drew Pomeranz when Pomeranz had had gone to Milwaukee and pitched really well in a really small sample out of the bullpen, they got a four-year deal to be a reliever for the Padres. Uh, the, the Stevenson's in that same vein. You know, we saw, like you said, that that reliever market for non-closers kind of blew up a little bit and it's stabilized since then. We haven't, you know, you don't see a lot of three and four-year deals for guys you're not expecting to close. It's generally like two years, eight or nine million per season, kind of what, what, what Kelly got initially. Um, but uh, you wonder like, you're never quite sure which of those guys is going to get those deals and guys get left out and they're, they're, they end up signing the, you know, one year, $6 million with a, a club option with a $2 million buyout to get me to that money. If the, the options decline, you get a lot of those deals for, for relievers because there's just such a huge supply of them. What the last thing is, do you get texts from agents, executives after you do this? Not yet. Cause I think this is only the second year I've done this. Uh, I know when I did the uh, I did some extension projections uh, earlier in the year, there was uh, at least one general manager who did not like the process because it had oh, really? some of his players uh, <laughs> making more money than than he thought they should. Um, but I think outside of that, I haven't I haven't heard too much on it yet. We'll see what what the GM meetings bring in that regard. You know what I like doing? I like having doing fake trades and then going up to GMs and saying, "What do you think of this fake trade we just made?" Like Luis Robert going to the Mets, Luis Roberts and Tim Anderson going to the Mets. What was it for Brett Beatty, um, Prada, and Vientos? And the GM's answer was neither team would do it. 
Like, okay, that's that take away all the fun. So, right. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I appreciate you. I appreciate your time and I appreciate your effort. You're doing God's work. Thank you. Oh, th- thank you so much. It's always fun to be on.